college football podcast hosted by yours truly nicole auerbach i am thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague chris vanini here to break down the biggest stories in college football in an hour or less and before we get going i do want to remind everyone if you enjoy the podcast to please subscribe rate and review us on uh itunes or wherever you're getting your podcast the andy staples and friends show five stars because much like your favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact. And Chris, we're going to talk about recruiting because uh, Tennessee now has a bunch of kids who just signed with a coach who is no longer the coach and also has to recruit for the foreseeable future without a coach as well. But let's start with Tennessee making a coaching change that had basically been telegraphed for, I don't know, a month now. Um, walk me through... As someone who is super plugged in in coaching changes and the hiring and firing cycles, when this began and and how it ultimately got to Jeremy Pruitt being fired for cause mid-January. Yeah, so mid-January, not the ideal time to make a coaching change, but this was also not really a surprise if you'd been following Tennessee at all for the last month. The school had pretty openly hired some lawyers to investigate possible, you know, impermissible benefits and recruiting violations at, at, at its own school. Um, largely, it's believed because they were looking for a way to get out of the, I think, nearly $13 million buyout owed to Pruitt, a buyout that largely increased because of a contract extension he got five months ago coming off of an 8-5 and five season. Turned out that wasn't a good idea. And on Monday, they did it. They fired Pruitt, and they said they fired him with cause. He won't get any of that buyout. And they also fired two assistant coaches and a handful of other staffers as well. So now Tennessee goes into a search, uh, needing a new coach, also needing a new AD as Philip Fulmer is stepping down. And uh, now with NCAA investigations in a cloud hanging over everything. So not ideal, but this is also kind of the situation Tennessee put itself in. Right. Okay. So let's go back to the extension that Jeremy Pruitt signed and was announced. So looking at the dates, this was right before the season started and it was um, celebrated. It was this big deal. Remind me again, like Jeremy Pruitt has not uh, taken the Vols to the college football playoff. He has not taken them to the SEC championship game. Uh, So why why did he get an extension? Uh, Good question. Um, It's not like there were other suitors coming for him after two seasons, one of which was an eight and five season. Uh, But this is how this generally works in college football is that ADs and schools sign contracts despite having more of the leverage. And, you know, two games in, Tennessee was 2-0 and and ranked in the top 15, actually. It's kind of it's kind of weird to remember that this Tennessee team was in the top 15. They finish 1-7, and seven and they want to make a change, and they need a, a way to make a change with, without that buyout. I mean, you wrote a story recently about why 
schools give out these buyouts that make no sense. We saw the same thing at South Carolina with Will Muschamp. They had to pay out that buyout. And, uh, yeah, schools continue to get uh, get dominated in these negotiations with agents. Well, so so here, th- and that's like the fundamental issue is, is something that I, I have a problem with here is you don't need to extend these coaches when they haven't actually won something significant. And, and this is what ends up – this is why people get boxed in with these buyouts that are, you know, they're seven figures or whatever, or you're trying to, you know, find something to investigate yourself to try to figure out if you can fire someone for a cause. But you, but none of these ADs need to extend these coaches in the way that they're doing it. You've brought this up repeatedly, but you can extend coaches without increasing the buyout. Yep. If, like, the, if the whole goal here is for recruiting um. You know, which is really what these, what the long tails on these contracts is for recruiting. So that you can say to players and their families that you're going to be there the entire time that they are going to be on your campus. It That's kind of why the Jim Harbaugh situation happened the way it was, where you knew that either he was going to get extended or, you know, somehow he was going to be leaving because you can't just exist with one year left on your contract. But I, I just don't understand why you would voluntarily increase the buyout money like Lane Kiffin got an extension this year. They didn't really accomplish anything in year one at Ole Miss. I mean, at least in this case, you're assuming that, you know, he did receive interest for other jobs that open. Right. But I, I just fundamentally don't understand it when there are ways to extend coaches or, you know, at least signal the commitment and the investment without putting yourself in these situations where then you're going to have to commit a lot more money or in this case, investigate yourself now having an NCAA investigation hanging over your program while you're trying to get your next coach. Like this just seems so avoidable. Everything about this Tennessee situation seems absolutely wild. I mean, credit to Jimmy Sexton for convincing Tennessee to give Pruitt that, uh, that, that extension. But what makes this Tennessee thing so unique is that they basically did this investigation and turned themselves in to the NCAA. They hired lawyers to investigate themselves and then apparently work with the NCAA. Usually you hire the lawyers to defend yourself against the NCAA. This is a very unique situation. This is why it's, it, it, it seems obvious that the, the main point of this was to move on from Pruitt at no cost. Uh, it, it, this is not how these things typically go. Uh, Kansas actually tried to do the same thing when they fired uh, David Beatty, uh, tried to come up with these NCAA violations. They said that he committed um, and to, to get out, out of a buyout. And it ended up not working because the AD was involved. Sort of, Jeff Long was sort of involved in terms of the people who were at practice who maybe shouldn't have been at practice, uh, which, which was the what they were claiming. And as a result, Kansas actually, I think, ended up paying a little bit more than they would have otherwise paying out the buyout to, to David Beatty. So you may see schools try to do this more, to, to try to come well, up. Well, that, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, is this now going to be a, a playbook? It, it, it can be. Um, you know, like I said, we've seen two schools do it now. Schools are in really bad situations and they want to do it. That's a way to go. But the problem is it generally doesn't help your school because now the next coach comes in with this NCAA investigation hang, hanging over everything. You're, you're kneecapping the next coach. Tennessee is going through all of this trouble, you know, hurting itself in its upcoming coaching search, hurting the next coach. 
just so it doesn't have to pay this buyout. I mean, I assume they found the violations, but you're, they are hoping the NCAA agrees with and finds these violations because that would give them the cause to fire Jeremy Pruitt. If the NCAA were to say, no, we don't think these are, think these are violations, then they owe the money to Pruitt. So it, it's just it's really strange how this happened. Uh, could you see this going forward more? Possibly. But in a lot of these situations, you end up hurting in the program when you do that. Okay, so are they also, this is the way I read the situation, they're also banking on the NCAA then taking it easier on them because they got rid of Jeremy Pruitt. That would be Correct? The, that would be the hope, you would think. I, I mean, but we've seen in various cases in recent years, especially with basketball, you know, if you don't cooperate with the NCAA, sometimes it doesn't hurt you, or you do cooperate and... It, 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 it does hurt you. I don't remember who it was. Who was there was a case recently you you would M- Missouri. 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 Yeah. Missouri. When when they were very open with the NCAA and got hit pretty hard and they were pretty pissed off about it. And the lesson is don't cooperate with the NCAA, apparently. Tennessee is opening the doors and taking this case to the NCAA, which is just right. it's incredibly weird. It's super weird. And again, like you're really banking on um, them being truly fireable offenses. So they're a big enough deal that the NCAA is going to hit you hard, but then maybe that they're not going to hit you that hard because you got rid of the head coach. So it's like definitely an interesting line to walk. And And, and Tennessee Tennessee made that clear (laughs) with the statements they put out today. They put out the firing letter to Jeremy Pruitt. They, They said this could result in... Players being ineligible, there was lack of control under you. I mean, they buried Jeremy Pruitt. Okay, (laughs) which again, again, short term, I see why you're doing this. Long term, why would a coach who is in a good situation somewhere want to jump into this mess? I mean, like that's where it just doesn't make it seem as appealing as it should when they're willing to throw the coach under the bus so much like they they went so far out of their way to set up this potential scenario that played out on monday yeah that that's and there's a lot of factors that are going to play into the search search because this, and that's what i wrote about today you, you gotta pitch a coach that you have this ncaa investigation coming and you may have players not there or not eligible it's also january schools are back in play uh, back to back to workouts. I mean, head coaches may not want to leave their teams at this time of year. And also, there's no AD in place. They say they're going to hire a new AD before they hire the coach. That's probably going to take a couple weeks. And and, that, and then at what point does a coach want to do it? I mean, Fulmer's going to stay on and help with that. It's just, it's a complete mess. They, they went through so much trouble and are really hurting themselves on this search just so they didn't have to go through another year of Jeremy Pruitt. All of these candidates who they may want for this job, they're going to be there. They were going to be there in next December. Tennis, there were no other open head coaching jobs. It's not like Billy Napier, Jamie Chadwell, Hugh Freeze, who, Luke Fickle, whoever you want. It's not like they were going to, someone else was going to come in and grab them real quick. They, they, they just, they really didn't want to go another year with Jeremy Pruitt, apparently. A lot is going to be made rehashing back to the 2017 search that led to this, because that was also a disaster. And that's what put Philip Fulmer in position to make that hire for Jeremy Pruitt, who he then extended and then needed to you know, get out of this. But I, I, I just think the whole thing is, is really interesting 
in in how it all played out, how transparent some of this was, um, and honestly, how if you really want to look for violations, you can find them. That was one of my main takeaways for this, that if you invest the resources and hire people to look into yourself instead of to defend yourself, you can probably find some stuff in a lot of programs, right? And so it, it's just sort of... I don't know what to make of all of this. I think it's definitely the right decision that Tennessee is going to hire a new AD to to make this hire. But I, I do wonder, I mean, if you think about last year, how late in the year Mel Tucker was hired at Michigan State. Michigan State search was in a really tough position because it was so late, mm-hmm. because all the coaches it would potentially want were settled and working on spring ball and, and moving forward onto things. Um, and, and it was hard to you know, hire staff or, or the existing coaches who were being let go, where were they going to land? I mean, all of that became very challenging because it was February when that happened. What is a realistic timetable for the AD hire? You said that could be a few weeks. And then a coach. I mean, it just feels like this is definitely going to stretch into February. And we already saw how challenging that was last year for a Power 5 program to try to make a good hire in that kind of pressure cooker situation a lot of it was made about mel tucker and the salary he commanded but he had the leverage that's what's going to happen in every single situation that tennessee finds themselves in outside of their interim head coach kevin Steele. yeah i mean michigan state got turned down by luke fickle their top target had mark d'antonio step down in december maybe they get luke fickle and they couldn't and they had they had to go back to mel tucker uh, a couple times and pay him way above. They literally more than doubled his salary, I think. So that's the kind of thing you have to do now if you want to hire, you know, a sitting Power Five head coach if that's what Tennessee wants to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to imagine they won't. I mean, they hired a, a search firm. I think it was Parker Executive. I imagine Parker will be reaching out to possible candidates and getting some of that process going. But how many other people are going to have their kind of hands in the cookie jar? How many? Boosters are going to try to make their case uh, while there's a bit of a power vacuum. You know how much role, how much of a role will Fulmer have? He said he's not going to hire the next coach. He's going to let the next AD do it. But it's Philip Fulmer. He's probably going to have a say <laughs> in what's going on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, AD searches generally, usually, the, usually AD searches take a few months. You know, Boise State lost their AD a, a few months ago. They were going to hire one in March. Then Brian Harson left. They had to speed that up. That took a couple weeks, and then they eventually hired Andy Avalos. So, I would I would be surprised if Tennessee has a coach in place by February. And when you get to early February, that's when you have the second signing period for recruits. Um, and Tennessee maybe may lose a lot of their guys who may want to opt out from a new coach. Uh, so, yeah, this is really really bad in terms of the calendar. Right, and and I think that I was I was talking to an AD earlier. Um, after this had started to unfold and you know we're talking about you know could there be a mass exodus of transfers and just sort of all of the typical things that happen after a coaching change and the ad brought up a really good point that you know although it's not passed yet everyone's anticipating that transfers will be able to move around freely and not have to sit out um especially especially if you lose a coach especially under that so even if the rule doesn't pass like these these guys will be able to Players that sign in December should be freed from their NLIs if they want to move around too. But also everybody has been under that assumption 
making decisions and you still have the initial counter capped at 25. So there may not be landing spots if guys at Tennessee want to move around because those spots are already filled, which again, if you make this decision a month ago, maybe players who were really committed to Jeremy Pruitt and don't want to play for somebody else, maybe they have opportunities of places to go. The whole thing by adding a month to this to try to make it for cause, it really does screw over a lot of people. And like, this is how the college athletic system is designed. It's like if, if, if something like this happens and there is a delay, it puts all of these other people stuck in boxes wherever they are. But it's just really frustrating. And so, I, you know, it's, it's just bizarre. I mean, I think I've been texting you for, what, weeks now, being like, is today the day for Tennessee? You know, when is this going to happen? Because it was, so, trans- it yeah. was so transparent. Um, but I, I do want to get into a little bit, um, you know, who are the, the, the names to watch, the, the, at least the targets. Because, again, everyone at this point is where they are. They don't have to leave. There's no other jobs that are open. Um, so who is Tennessee going to try to talk to when they have, I guess, when they have an AD in position to try to talk to people? Well, the good news for Tennessee is that there are a lot of quality candidates out there, I think, and it's because there hasn't been as much of a, a appetite to hire a sitting group of five head coaches, but there are a lot of good ones out there. You talk about Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. He's from East Tennessee. He named his kid after Heath Schuler. You know, he's a guy I think would probably take the job, but he's never coached at the Power Five level. And there are parts of that Tennessee job, the fan base, the, the politics of all of it. Um, can he handle that? Does he want to handle that? Uh, same thing with Billy Napier, head coach at Louisiana. Done a really good job there. Won, I think, three straight division titles. Um, he's a former Alabama and Clemson assistant coach. So he is he has been in the SEC. He has coached at the highest levels. He's been in the mix for a lot of SEC jobs but hasn't landed one yet um, for whatever reason. So maybe Tennessee could be it, maybe not. Got to talk about Hugh Freeze. He's uh, long wanted the Tennessee job. It's no secret. He'd love to return to the SEC. But but it would be a little bit weird to fire a guy for NCAA violations and hire a coach who lost his previous job in part due to NCAA violations, in which a lot of assistant coaches got show cause penalties. Um, not that I, not that I would put it, you know, not that I would put it ahead of any SEC school to make a hypocritical move or any college football program really to to make some sort of move like that. But and he, Hugh Freeze wins. He wins everywhere he's been. He went ten and one at Liberty this year. There's no denying that Hugh Freeze has been a good coach. Elsewhere, you know, you could look at stuff like maybe is Luke Fickle interested? Would would Dave Doran? Dave Doran turned down the job last time it was open, NC State head coach. Uh, Do you look at uh, Neil Brown, the West Virginia head coach, maybe? I mean, uh, Bill O'Brien, Bruce Feldman mentioned him. He's supposed to be the Alabama offensive coordinator. He has taken over programs, a program in a tough spot before in Tennessee. Uh, But is Bill O'Brien going to excite the fan base? He's kind of the same situation Greg Schiano was, if you think about it. So, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of quality names out there but how many of them are going to be interested given the situation would if bill o'brien were to somehow land this job would that be that would have to be the fastest nick saban rehab (laughs) job yet right like that would be a matter of days but no i mean i think i think it is going to be very interesting i also think that the sitting head coach question is always interesting because 
oftentimes, even, you know, with different ADs or people making the hires, if you go for the rising assistant one time, then you go with a established head coach the next time or whatever it might be. Um, and you know, so, and you've also went with the Saban tree last time. Do you, do you stick with that? Do you veer away from that? Like, there's a lot of things that people make decisions based on how things went the last time. So I'm very, very curious to, to see how this goes and to see who they land as an, as an AD um, and, and really you know, prepared to navigate all of the situations around that. Um, other changes that have happened since, um, well, since Power Hour last week at least, uh, Urban Meyer off to the NFL. And then there's been a couple, again, before Tennessee opened on Monday, everything was filled. Um, all the head coaches jobs in college football were filled. So you had um, Charles Huff at Marshall get hired, which I think brings, I mean, how many assistant coaches is Nick Saban going to have to hire this offseason? He, he lost most of his staff, correct? He's got, uh, I keep, I, so I keep an updated list of open jobs at every school. They have four at the moment. I see offensive coordinator, because Sark left, Running backs, because Charles Huff left. Offensive line, because Kyle Flood left. And special teams coordinator, because Jeff Banks left. I think that's it. I think it's four. But okay. but, but Nick Saban has there gone through. There could be more. He's gone through turnover. I believe no coach on this year's Alabama team was on the 2017 team. So it's kind of, we've seen Nick Saban have staff overhauls a couple of years, and we wonder if he's going to keep it going. Uh, he's going to keep it going. Don't worry about that. Yes. But I do, I do, I am interested, you know, especially when he loses assistants that take other assistants or even low level staffers, um, which we know he doesn't like. He's lost a lot of do. those. He's lost because Butch yes. Jones took a lot to Arkansas State and Sark and, is taking a lot to, uh, to Texas. Yeah. And so, like, that, that is what's interesting. That does take up time to get the right people in place. Um, and, you know, again, Charles Huff just got the Marshall job, so we don't know if he's taking anyone with him quite yet. Um, but, you know, it, it is really interesting because I think that his coaching tree is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, we've made a lot of the, the rehabilitations he has overseen and a lot of coaches like Sark who got second chances after spending time at Alabama and, and winning big and, you know, either modernizing their own offenses or whatever it is, but just, you know, like a Midas touch, something about being part of how the process works and, and people give you second chances. And it, it's interesting where they're landing this year. Obviously, no one will be under more scrutiny than, than Sark at Texas. Um, but, like, when, you know, even like a Charles Huff, I mean, this is someone you and I both know him. Um, what is your reaction to him getting the Marshall job and the fit? And, like, you know, like, just, again, this tree is just continually expanding. But there are places, like, you would think at a Marshall that you could you can win. You can, you can do some damage in a job like that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good hire by Marshall. I, I was a bit skeptical of the decision to move on from Doc Holliday. I know there was kind of a real mix between the fans because they had started off this year 7-0 and and reached the top 20 before losing their last three games. They hadn't won Conference USA since 2014, I think. So he takes over a pretty good program. I mean, uh, they, they've got a, a solid young quarterback in place. He looked good as a, red, as a redshirt freshman this year. They've got facilities in place. And they've largely been the best recruiting team in Conference USA for six, seven years now. And Huff is one of the best recruiters in the country. So 
I think he'll be able to get some pretty good talent there to Marshall, uh, as they already have. So uh, we'll have to see what his staff is. Obviously, he wasn't a coordinator, so we don't know what to expect on offense and defense. But I like the hire by uh, by Marshall, and I think there's a lot of uh, upside there. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just been a very interesting cycle overall. And I know we've talked about this on this show about our expectations for the cycle versus, you know, what actually ended up happening and um, the schools that ended up making big decisions and, um, you know, rallying their boosters and, and making big changes. Another program that, before we go, um, that had a big announcement on Monday also was Ohio State. We're getting, we're getting decisions of players who are declaring for the draft and those who aren't. We're also starting to hear um, from those, you know, seniors who have that extra year of eligibility who are moving on or who are coming back and all these different things so it's been a slow trickle of news but chris olave announced that he is coming back for ohio state on monday and you've got to think that that's going to put them right up there as either the best receiving core in the country or among the best as they're breaking in a new quarterback um what does that mean to you in terms of i guess the rest of the big 10 yeah, uh, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback at Ohio State next year. There's not really anybody that stands out, but whoever it is is going to have a ton of weapons. Chris Olave's back, the wide receiver. Also earlier Monday, Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end, announced he was coming back. They have, I think, a bunch of five-star receivers coming in as well. So all Ohio State has to do is, and they've got a veteran offensive line, and, and so all they have to do is figure out who's going to throw the ball at Ohio State because they have everything else uh, around him. So who, I think it's going to be a very, very appealing spot, whether that's someone on the roster steps up, whether it's a, a transfer of some kind. Uh, but Ohio State has everything in place for another run next year. Uh, they just need to figure out who's going to throw the ball. And once again, the uh, the rich continue to stay rich, which is uh, kind of where college football is uh, right now, where the same teams, you know, either are getting the same four or five star guys, and then also they're getting guys who want to come back and, and make a run at this thing. And, you know, it sort of reminds me, I mean, to a different level, but Cincinnati's been in that position too, where it's been a lot of surprising returners, right? And And it feels like, you know, some of these decisions that are being made, and I would anticipate for Chris Olave as well, is with the goals of a national championship there. I mean, I would think with Cincinnati, with everyone who came back, um, you know, I, I think that it just sort of feels like people are consulting other teammates. They're figuring out what next year can look like and what the playoff picture can look like and and making these decisions. And, um, you know, Chris Olave is one that was surprising. I mean, I think right. Dane Brugler had him as a potential first-round pick correct in the, yeah. in the NFL draft and, and, so, and Jeremy Rucker was his number three tight end yeah so it, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be again you know a pretty terrifying offense for Ohio State which makes it more challenging for Penn State and Michigan and everybody else that's trying to catch them um, but they certainly look like they are reloading for another playoff uh, a playoff season or playoff run um so, Chris, before we go, uh, we have to do our, our last calls, which for those who haven't listened, the last call can be a rant. It can be 
raving. It can be, it can be really whatever. Cause you know, when you're ordering a last call at a bar, it can be a variety of different things. Um, last week, Michael Felder got emotional. That happens at last call. Um, so my, my last call this week, um, is going out to Sarah Fuller. She is the Vanderbilt soccer player who turned kicker, became the first woman to, uh, kick extra points in power five football game. And she's going to be part of the inauguration this week. She posted about being invited and being part of Wednesday's celebrations. And I think that's awesome. I assume that it has something to do with the first um, female vice president in the country's history. And I'm sure that there's um, some other celebrations tied to that. And for uh, trailblazing, trailblazing women. Anyway, I think it's cool. I'm glad that her 15 minutes of fame are not over. I'm glad that she can continue to inspire people and talk about what she went through this year and um, get more girls interested in playing football. If this was an option when I was little, I would have tried to play football. So the more that we can hear from Sarah Fuller, the better. So cheers. Very cool. Very cool. My shout out, uh, or whatever you want to call it, is going to Chad Henney, the former, oh. the former Michigan quarterback for making me feel young. Because I got to say, there's so many things that go on in college football that make me feel old, whether it's Frank Gore's kid playing for Southern Miss or Mike Hart getting the running back's coaching job at Michigan, his fifth coaching job, making me feel old. But his former teammate Chad Henney uh, takes over for the injured Patrick Mahomes, and they hold on to beat the Cleveland Browns and advance in the NFL playoffs to the AFC uh uh, AFC Championship game, and our colleague Matt Matt Brown, uh, during Chad Henney's little run there, posted uh, the 2004 quarterback ranking recruiting rankings, and this was quite a list to go through. Some real blasts from the past. Number one that year was Rhett Bomar, former Oklahoma quarterback. Some some other names on this list: Xavier Lee, Anthony Morelli, uh, Matt Tuiasosopo, Brian Brom, who's now a coach. Uh, for Purdue, you've got uh, uh, Graham Harrell, now the offensive coordinator at USC. You've got Eric Ainge, Sean Lewis, the head coach at Kent State. So while a lot of these guys on this list will make you feel old because you remember when these guys played, we, we were college freshmen when Chad Henney played at Michigan his senior year. For Chad Henney to still be in the league, what, 13, 13 years now, I think, in the NFL? That makes me feel a, a bit young again. So shout out to Chad Henney for sticking in the NFL for that long, finally getting a moment and uh, running for 13 yards out of nowhere to set up the game-clinching fourth-down conversion. So shout out to Chad Henney, who had a great career at Michigan and finally got a win over a team from Ohio. Well, I was wondering, until that last line, you were very, it was just very positive <laughs> Michigan uh commentary even about my cart i mean i was i was very surprised that you picked this as your last call but proud of you for uh abandoning your your uh green and white tinted goggles for for a minute um and we were a freshman my first game as a michigan freshman was chad henny and mike hart and jake long losing to app state so we will end the show on that note because i know that is a very fond memory for you chris and a lot of other people and most of college football. 
Um, so we will wrap it there. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Power Hour. As a reminder, we will be continuing on weekly every Tuesday throughout the off season um, with a different in rotating cast of characters. So I'm really excited about that. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow. Ari Wasserman will be back later this week. I'm sure coming up with some crazy bets and some crazy topics to debate Andy on, as they often do. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week on Power Hour. Thank you.